What is up? And welcome back to Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. Do you know what time it is? Yeah, yeah, it is time to subscribe, rate, review, and share. But actually, what I'm talking about is it's time for the second annual Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers NBA preview. I reviewed the tape of last year's preview, so I can be even better at this because, you know, that's what I do. No need to thank me. And I realize that there's one way to do this that's better than all the rest. More reliable, more scientific, more accurate, all that. And that's using what we in the business call the eye test. That's right. I'm going to break down each team, splitting the videos up by division, using what my eyeballs tell me. What do I love? What do I hate? And most importantly, could they possibly see an NBA title this season? So let's get into it. Let's open up the Atlantic Division preview with the Boston Celtics. Last season started off wild as Joe Mazzulla unexpectedly took over as head coach. They exceeded my expectations by going 57-25 and in the regular season before losing a brutal Eastern Conference Finals that saw them come back from down 3-0 just to lose Game 7 at home. Vegas has set their over-under at 54.5 wins, but they did that without considering that I'm a Lakers fan. What am I allowed to like about the Celtics? How many teams have two wings under 27 who are this talented? Jalen Brown averaged 27-7-4 last season, and he's a terrific defender, and he's the second option here. Jason Tatum is an MVP candidate now and for the foreseeable future. At his best, he's got one of the most aesthetically pleasing games in the league. The footwork, the fadeaway, the drives, they can all look like art when he's cooking. And he cooked a lot last season, finishing with averages of 30 points, 9 boards, and 5 assists. He's been the leader of this team for a couple seasons now, and they haven't won a championship, but they're one of the most battle-tested teams in the NBA. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals four times since Jason got here, which is invaluable experience for a young core. Back in the day, this was the natural progression for teams. You'd be trying to get over this hump, then finally, boom, you get your ring. It'll help that they brought in a battle-tested point guard as well in Drew Holiday. He won a ring with the Bucks and is an upgrade over Marcus Smart on both ends of the court. Speaking of Smart being gone, that's addition by subtraction, and I hope Celtics fans are finally ready to be honest about him. That guy was bad, okay? As a Lakers fan, I wish he was still here. He would shoot way too many threes, shoot them at the worst times, and, as an added bonus, miss them. When he wasn't doing that, he was turning the ball over. His big skill, allegedly, was defense, but he wasn't actually that great of a defender so much as he was frustrating to play against. He was physical, but a flopper, and somehow that got him a Defensive Player of the Year award. This team will be much better now that he's gone. Drew isn't the best decision maker on offense all the time, and his shot isn't always falling, but he's way better than Marcus ever was, and he's still better defensively even if he has lost a step. Speaking of new players, Kristaps Porzingis is here now. I'm guessing he made Robert Williams III expendable enough to make that move for Drew in the first place. He actually had a career year last year with the Wizards, putting up 23-8 and a block and a half per game. He can shoot the three, he's improved closer to the basket too, and he was mostly healthy last season, playing in his most games since his second year in the NBA. He should be a fan favorite as well, since he's a white guy who learned everything he knows about American culture by watching videos on Worldstar. That's the closest they'll get to the Celtics signing Marky Mark. If he works in some racial slurs, they'll retire his jersey by the All-Star break. 
Speaking of fan favorites, they gave a big deal to Peyton Pritchard, and I want to make fun of it, but actually he looks like a nice little player. At his size, he should be a point guard, but I haven't seen the playmaking yet. He's definitely going to put up a lot of points off the bench in a hurry, though. The best thing about this team is Derek White Jr. finally shaved his head. Welcome, buddy. It's about time. They have a lot of possible lineup combinations around that Tatum and Brown duo. When you look at their talent from top to bottom, how many other teams can compete? Let's talk about that later, but first, what do I hate about them? So, so much. Let's start with Jason Tatum since he's the alleged MVP candidate here. What's his deal? He's a big Kobe fan like myself, but he plays like he's trying to recreate a Kobe highlight tape instead of playing the actual game. It makes me question his basketball IQ because he'll have long stretches where he's out there making the game as hard as possible on himself. And you're like, why would anybody do this? Included in that is the 8 million turnovers he gets every game. Also, you know that thing that all-time greats do where they step their games up in the playoffs? He does that too, except with the bad parts only, particularly in elimination games. 5 for 13 for 14 points in Game 7 at home against the Heat. The 8-seed Miami Heat who were without one of their leading scorers. And the Celtics got blown out. Jalen Brown is actually the guy I trust more in big moments, which is a real shame because he'll turn the ball over a million times too. We all know he can't dribble with his left hand. What Celtics fans need to know is that he never will be able to. Every summer we get these videos of him doing drills with his right hand tied behind his back that are popular at youth basketball camps across the world, and every regular season he comes out here dribbling like his hand fell asleep. Your ball handling skills are not going to noticeably improve this late in life. It's not like he just learned the game, he's been playing forever. That hand is what it is. Again, I must remind you that he's Kyrie without the heart. At least Kyrie comes out and says all his bullshit with his chest. Jalen whispers it, then comes up with dumbass excuses when someone happens to hear him. After Kyrie got in trouble last year for sharing Hitler's movie recommendations or whatever, the black Hebrew Israelite showed up to support him. I'll spare you a breakdown of who they are, but just keep in mind they were there to show Kyrie's support after he got in trouble for promoting anti-Semitic propaganda. Jalen gets on social media and shows support for them. And when people are like, uh, hey, why, why are you supporting the, the anti-Semites? What does his dumb, scary ass say? Oh, I thought they were the Omegas. He wants us to believe that he thought the Qs saw Kyrie doing anti-Semitism and rolled up to Barclays barking and playing Atomic Dog. Get the fuck out of here. If this is the route you want to take, quit being a coward and own it. Back to the court. They got rid of Robert Williams III because he's injury prone and they found the only person in the world who has worse knees than he does to replace him in Kristaps, who is also considerably worse at post defense. Who's going to guard bigs on this team? Oh, that's right. Just 53-year-old Al Horford and his double XL mouth guard. What could go wrong there? How many profiles did we get hyping up Joe Mazzula last year? Oh man, he's so quirky. He watches the town 15 times a week and he has his own personal jujitsu coach. They gave him the Mike McDaniel treatment, except Mike McDaniel can actually coach. It never failed. The other team would be going on a huge run. The Celtics would badly need a timeout. The camera would cut over to old Jiu-Jitsu Joe and he'd be standing there eyes blank as fuck like he's wondering if Doug McRae is still living happily ever after in Florida. He better figure this shit out quick because he's black and Italian. So, you know, Celtics fans have some slurs for him that haven't been heard since that shit-ass harbor tasted like chamomile. Bob Cousy sucked. He rode Bill Russell's coattails and didn't stand up for him when literal racist shit-asses were breaking in Bill's house and shitting on his bed. Fuck him. 
typical. Y'all got new edition, but want to stand for new kids on the block ass town. They talk about Paul Pierce like he's on the same level as Russell and Bird, but never forget, he sucked before they got Ray Allen and KG and they tried to stab him to death. They dumped all that tea in the harbor because they were mad at the British just to turn around and do the most British thing ever and try to ting old bruv in the club with the dipper. By the way, that team was lucky to win one ring and they act like they would have been the 96 Bulls if not for an injury to Kendrick fucking Perkins. Yes, noted NBA championship difference maker, Mosey Moody, Moody Moody, Mosey Moody, Mosey Moody. Fuck the Celtics. Okay, now that that's off my chest, what are the results of their eye test? Could they see a championship this year? I'd like to think the reason it just started storming is because the answer is yes, as much as it pains me to admit. I don't trust their players in big games, but they certainly had the talent to get to them and have been there plenty of times before. They've also helped their Missoula issue by bringing in Jeff Van Gundy as a consultant and Sam Cassell as an assistant. Sam should have been a head coach years ago. That, the holiday upgrade over Smart and a healthy Chris Stops should have them battling it out with Milwaukee to see who comes out of the East. I hope it's not Boston. Moving on, it's time to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Very eventful season last year as they got rid of KD and Kyrie. They managed to go 45 and 37. Jacques Vaughn is still the coach after taking over for Steve Nash early last year. Not as much firepower here, and Vegas has set their over under at 37 and a half. What do I love about them? Doesn't it kind of feel like the KD Kyrie era was some sort of fever dream? Well, it wasn't. Nothing came from it, but they did get a lot of nice pieces in return for moving on from them. Mikael Bridges is going to be the man here this year. You know he's going to defend. You know he's going to hit jumpers from all over, but can he carry the load on offense? If his time here after coming over from Phoenix is any indication, the answer is absolutely yes. In 27 games, he averaged 26 points on 48-38-90 splits. That's nuts. If he's in the ballpark of that for a full season, even with teams now game planning for him, then that's a hell of a piece to start rebuilding with. It feels like a safe bet too, if I'm being honest. I'm pretty sure I'm being honest, by the way. This team is also going to defend their asses off. Bridges, a healthy Ben Simmons, who we'll get to in a bit, and Nick Claxton are some of the best defenders at their respective positions in the league. Simmons was a first-team all-defense guy in his last two seasons playing in Philly, and Claxton should join him soon. For my stat nerds, he was fourth in defensive win shares, sixth in defensive rating, and second in blocks per game last season. They also have a guy in Dennis Smith Jr. who has really battled to stay in the league, and he's managed to carve out a nice spot for himself as a high-level defender. He was on the Hornets last year, and according to Cleaning the Glass, he improved their defense by 10.7 points per 100 possessions when he was on the court. What the fuck does that mean, Kobe Bryant? Well, to put it in context, that was second among all NBA players who played at least a thousand minutes last season. They even brought back Spencer Dinwiddie in the Kyrie trade, and he went right back into playmaking mode, averaging nine assists in his 26 games. Games. Just up and down their roster, they have a million versatile guys from like 6'4 to 6'8 who you've heard of and who can contribute in a way that leads to wins. Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Lonnie Walker, and on and on. And then there's the aforementioned Ben Simmons. This preseason, he's looked like the guy who was on his way to being a superstar in this league. He's looked healthy, engaged, the playmaking is still there, the defense is still there. If he's that guy all year long, this team is going to shock a lot of people. So what do I hate about him? Why would anybody trust Ben Simmons to be that all year long? He's missed two entire seasons in his seven-year career so far. He played some last year, but he looked bad and he was still hurt, according to him, and only played in 42 games before shutting it down. 
The last time we saw him healthy, he was so afraid to shoot free throws that he passed up a wide open dunk in a playoff game that almost gave Joel Embiid a stroke. He still has those same limitations in that he cannot, and more importantly, will not shoot outside the paint. I don't know how much of his issues are physical versus mental and how much of the mental issues are caused by the physical ones. Yes, he looks completely disinterested at times and terrified at others, but maybe that's because he knows he can't perform due to his body. But does it matter? I mean, he's got a bad back. That's one of those things I can't remember ever seeing be cured 100%. So you have to believe it'll flare up again. And when it does, so will the other things. When your ceiling is so dependent on a guy like that, how excited can you be? What's Spencer Dinwiddie's deal? He seems to have a lot of that Andre Iguodala, I'm so much smarter than you in him, along with negative charisma. Has anybody ever said they enjoyed playing with him? He got in that weird beef with Kyle Kuzma. Who is Spencer Dinwiddie to be critiquing anybody? What's he ever done? Most people know him for pushing crypto. How's that working out? Also, reckless speculation here, but his goatee is fake. I've never seen a goatee look like that. Something's up. Speaking of people who seem miserable to play with, Cam Thomas is still here to pout on the bench. We know this dude can score. He had three straight 40-point games. So imagine how bad he is at the other parts of the game if he can't get any consistent playing time, especially on a team that struggles to score. Why do they struggle to score, you ask? Well, if you want to put out a lineup of Simmons and Claxton for defensive purposes, you automatically have two guys who can't shoot unless they're at the rim. I don't see how you play them together, and I also see how you can't play them together, so it's a tough spot to be in. Especially since there's no true center on this roster who you should trust behind Claxton. So do you move Claxton or Simmons? Which one? Good luck. Okay, let's move on to the results of the eye test. Will the Nets see a championship this year? Now, get a grip. But this feels like they could be a surprising regular season team. Of course, a lot of that depends on Mr. Undependable, but maybe a low 40 wins team who gets to the play-in. Nothing really past that point since their offensive issues are killers in the playoffs, but not bad for a team that had to offload two stars just last year. They also don't have a first-round pick this year, so no real reason to tank. Congratulations. Let's stay in New York and talk about the Knicks. 47-35 and 35 last year, and they won their first round matchup against the Cavs. Coach Tibbs and crew are back. They have their over-under set at 45 and a half wins. What do I love about them? Holy shit, what a steal they got in Jalen Brunson. 24-6 and six on 49% from the field and 42% from three. Unreal, he's my size. To be a career 49% from the field guy at that size and position is nuts. And he stepped it up even more in the playoffs, which he did his last year in Dallas as well. Made the Cavs look silly in that first round series, even though they were the higher seed, it was never really close. They lost in six to the Heat the next round, but Jalen put up 31-6-6. He's been talked about since he was coming out of high school, and he didn't set the world on fire immediately at Villanova as an individual player, but he was a key contributor to two national championship teams. There were a lot of doubts about him at this level, and he fell to the second round but look at him now. Even when he was starting to put it together for the Mavs, you couldn't have imagined this is where he was headed though. I can't help but talk about former Lakers and Julius Randle might be my favorite one currently playing thanks mostly to a screen he set to get Kobe open for his game-winning shot in his last game. An engaged and under-controlled Julius is one of the better players in the NBA and his numbers bounced back last year to 25-10 and 10 while shooting 46% from the field and 34% from three also averages a lot of assists for someone who plays the four. Jalen being the number one guy on offense takes a lot of pressure off Julius to make things happen and that's probably why we saw the numbers bounce back last season. You could do a lot worse in terms of one-two punches. 
They're surrounding Jalen with other Nova guys in Ryan Archidiacono, Dante DiVincenzo, and Josh Hart. Marino just felt right. Dante and Josh should play major roles. Dante was great in his role with the Warriors last year. If his three-pointer traveled with him, that'll help space the floor a lot. Josh is another former Laker I like, and they just gave him a huge new extension. He's an elite rebounder for his position. Of course, the Lakers never use him that way, but he's been about seven or eight per game ever since he left. He can defend and knock down the occasional three as well. Mitchell Robinson is the defensive anchor in the middle, one of the best shot blockers in the NBA, and a top 15 defensive rating the past two years. Quentin Grimes is another guy. He looks like a great candidate to have a breakout season. He's gotten better and better with the more reps he's gotten. A lot of great pieces here and a fantastic opportunity to build on what they did last year. So what do I hate? We have to talk about Julius Randle. While I think Jalen is great for his game, I don't know if Julius agrees. He seemed to struggle mentally with no longer being the man on this team. He's an emotional guy. And while Brunson was making everyone's life easier and getting everyone easier shots, Julius would at times decide to go rogue and create his own offense, which would often be a three-pointer. Julius took over eight threes per game last season, nearly three more than his previous career high. Of the 13 players to take at least eight threes per game last season, Randall's 34.3% three-point shooting percentage was only better than Luka Doncic, Fred Van Vliet, and Terry Rozier. He shot more than every other power forward in the league, and the next closest, Lowry Markkinen, hit 39% of his threes and is such a renowned shooter that Seda Baby rapped about it. Simply put, no power forward should be shooting more threes than Lowry, but Julius did. He somehow found himself in the three-point shooting contest at All-Star Weekend as an injury replacement, and he shot so badly, he made his son cry. Do you know how bad you have to be at shooting wide open shots off a rack that it traumatizes your child. He also disrupts their offense too much. I swear there are times during the game when you can just see that switch flip and he's like, okay, it's Julius Randle time and he'll start ISOing possession after possession. When this happens, there are two likely outcomes. Number one, he shows you why they call him dubious handles and he turns the ball over. Or two, he keeps the ball, but he can't get past his defender, so he throws up a three. Neither outcome is ideal. Also not ideal are his emotional outbursts. He acknowledged coming into last season that this was something he had to get under control because it was costing the team, but that didn't happen, and he again ranked in the top 20 in technical fouls. Now, getting text is one thing, but the way Julius goes about it is pretty unique to him. His teammates obviously know this is an issue, so they try to get in between him and the official he's charging after, and Julius will just start shoving them away in the process, which seems bad for team chemistry, if I'm being honest, again. And again, I'm pretty sure I'm being honest. In fairness to Julius, he didn't assault any laptops last year like he did the previous year when a Knicks assistant was trying to walk him through some film during a timeout, so shout out to improvement. Speaking of things that'll make you cry, he's also had bad playoff series after bad playoff series. The Knicks easily beat the Cavs in the first round, but that was mostly due to Jalen Brunson and the lights being too bright for the Cavs. Julius was bad, averaging just 14-6-3 on 34% shooting from the field and a disgusting 24% from three as the Knicks overcame that to win in five games. He was a little bit better the next round going against his old friend Jimmy Butler going for 18-10-4 despite missing a game with an ankle sprain, but he still shot just 41% from the field and 28% from three, and he averaged four turnovers per game as the Knicks lost in six games. So who's the real Julius Randle? 
I think he's a lot closer to all-star Julius than the playoff one, but he needs to adjust his game so that those two aren't so drastically different. His strengths when it comes to scoring are limited a bit by his lack of height. However, he's strong and he can bully taller players down low. While Brunson isn't a top-tier playmaker, he's good enough to where he can get Julius easier shots, so he'd be better served taking what Brunson and the defense give him. His three-pointer is average. He can hit him, but it should be used more as a changeup than his primary weapon. When defenses take away his inside game like they do in the playoffs, he's simply not a consistent enough three-point shooter to make up for that, but he takes him anyways. I think he's got enough touch and is a good enough passer to be dangerous out of the high post, get some touches there, make some things happen, instead of so far away from the hoop where he's either launching a three or trying to get all the way to the basket. His handles are what they are. He needs to keep this in mind and be better about picking his spots when he does decide to drive. I have no answer for his emotional outbursts, but I personally love meditation. But enough about Julius, let's discuss the results of the Knicks eye test. They will not be seeing a championship this year or anytime soon, honestly. You know how I feel about short guys leading teams to championships. Jalen's great, but the ceiling's there, and it's too high for him. They very much need to get the good Julius Randle this year or move on. That sounds crazy, but I'm here for bold takes. You're welcome. They do have the pieces to get back to the second round and give some team hell. I think they'll do that, and I think the league is at its best when the Knicks are right in this territory. They need to be good enough so that their fans are engaged, but still able to disappoint them. That's entertainment gold. Speaking of entertainment, we simply must talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. 54-28 and 28 last year, got the full Doc Rivers experience by losing to the Celtics in the second round in seven games. They ran him out of town, brought in old nemesis Nick Nurse. Vegas has set the over-under at 48.5 wins. What do I love about him? A couple of obvious things here. Nurse is a definite upgrade over Doc. In case this is your first time realizing that they replaced a Doc with a Nurse, I will pause. Anyways, Doc's flaws were well documented. He was the king of underperforming and throwing his team under the bus afterwards. His stops keep getting shorter and shorter because everyone's sick of his shit. Nurse, on the other hand, had a great run in Toronto, including the Kawhi title year, and an even better winning percentage the following year after Kawhi left. This is a coach who will not get in the way of you winning. He might actually help. Joel Embiid is fresh off his first MVP. You know what you're getting with him. 30 points, 10 boards, 3 or 4 assists. I feel like his defense is even a little bit underrated at this point. A franchise player, plain and simple. Tyrese Maxey is one of the best young guards in the league. 20 points per game on 43% from 3 last year. Just his third season, by the way. And you might think Tobias Harris is overpaid, but he's still effective. Okay, all right. Hold on, let's let's cut the shit real quick. Nobody wants to talk about what's good about this team because they're an absolute shit show right now. So let's talk about that instead. Will James Harden even be here by the time this episode drops? Imagine my surprise when I heard that James was tired of being on a team and trying to force his way out. It's not like he has a very clear history of doing this every single place he's been. Who would even want to trade for him at this point? You know how it's going to end. Also, he's only getting worse as a player. He claims he wants to leave because he hates Daryl Morey, which is both understandable and confusing at the same time. Confusing because Daryl Morey used math to convince the world that James Harden's shitty playing style was the best way to win and paid him a lot of money in Houston for that shitty playing style. Anytime someone would be like, hey, maybe dribbling a million times and then either shooting a step back three or flopping to get to the free throw line, 
isn't the best way to do this. Maury just kept holding up his calculator saying, look, look, James should love him based on this alone. However, everyone else should hate Daryl Morey. He and his calculator ruined the aesthetics of the game of basketball and reduced it to formulas on an Excel spreadsheet. Instead of using analytics as a tool, he used them as the end-all be-all, and that's exactly why he still hasn't won anything to this day. Players aren't numbers or equations, they're people with emotions, and if you don't consider all that and its effects on team chemistry, you're a dumbass. He uses his analytics to make the game seem more complicated than it is so he can look smarter than he is and keep getting these jobs and praise from all these other nerds who don't know the game of basketball and don't care about it, but they need to feel superior in some way to people who do. These losers love him and think he's a genius, so it's only fitting that he's been the subject of a book written by Michael Lewis because Maury and the reaction to him remind me of the subject of Lewis's latest book, Crypto Con Man Sam Bankman Freed. They're both disheveled, slovenly-looking men who behave terribly and have that terrible behavior attributed to their manufactured genius. Maury is a man who would park his car wherever he wanted to in Houston, and he got a million tickets until it got booted. At that point, he called up the dealership and traded the car in for an upgrade on the condition that the dealership dealt with the tickets. He's portrayed as a quirky genius for this, when really he's just an asshole who has enough money to insulate him from real consequences. Fuck him, and fuck people like him. Moving on to Joel Embiid, who might be done with all this too and ask out, he basically whined his way to an MVP award last year on the basis that Jokic's playoff failures weren't as scrutinized as his, while also ducking Jokic in the regular season during the heat of the MVP race. Jokic goes out and wins the championship, and Embiid has another disappointing playoff exit. If he thought his playoff failures were scrutinized before, wait till you see how that goes with your new MVP award. He operates too slowly on offense, he shoots way too many threes, especially when he's tired, and he turns the ball over way too much. He's also at 7 feet and 280 pounds, an embarrassing flopper, laughing when he gets away with it, no hint of pride or shame in sight. He's also not nearly as funny or witty as he thinks, and he will never be considered an all-time great. Wait, Danny Green and PJ Tucker are still playing? Really? Huh. Well, Danny Green will hit 40% of his threes in the worst way possible. He'll go four for four in the first half and finish 0 for six when you're dying for him to hit something in the fourth. PJ Tucker doesn't do anything except sweat, collect shoes, and foul. Montrez Harrell had one of the corniest beefs ever last year when he refused to let Giannis get shots up after the game, didn't know he got a security guard job. He's good for seven or eight emotional tweets a year to go along with his five points and zero defense. They brought in Pat Beverly to help mentor him on how to be even more ridiculous. I don't even really hate Pat anymore as much as I just think he's ridiculous. His podcast host sucks though. Okay, that's enough. Let's just go ahead and discuss the results of their eye test. Yep, they will not be seeing a title here. I think their eyes are too strained from looking at Maury's Excel spreadsheets. This is about to be a really big mess, I think, and I cannot wait. Thank God that their fans have the Eagles and the Phillies. Here's the thing, even if Harden was here and thrilled to be here, they still wouldn't be good enough to win a title, so who cares, really? They don't have to necessarily start over and go through the whole trust the process thing over again, but I would be looking to move Harden and also see what Embiid might get you. I think this is going to fall apart and they'll barely be a playing team, but um, hey, at least they're going to be entertaining off the court. All right, let's just go ahead and finish up with the Toronto Raptors. 41-41 and 41 last year, it cost Nick Nurse's job, a guy named Darko coaches here now. Vegas has set their over-under at 36.5 wins, not great, but what do I love about him? 
You definitely had to let Fred Van Vliet leave. I mean, that was an insane amount of money to give him for what he does. This is a team that's very good about letting point guards leave right on time. Shout out to Kyle Lowry. Pascal Siakam had a career year averaging 24, 8, and 6. We know what he brings in terms of scoring and defending, but those six assists really stand out to me. OG Ananobi is a Pascal with a better three-pointer in terms of what he can bring you, and he was finally mostly healthy for the first time in what feels like forever. They drafted Grady Dick, who I'm told has a funny last name, and then there's nothing. Nothing at all. Let's just talk about what I hate. This is the absolute worst spot to be as an organization. Masai Ujiri has gotten a lot of credit, rightfully so, for building this team at different points, but now they're stuck in purgatory, so it's time for him to get some of the blame. He's Pat Riley-esque in that you always hear about how he's on the verge of making some huge deal, but that hasn't happened since Kawhi. They've done nothing to move the needle. His best move since then is offloading Kyle Lowry to the real Pat Riley. They talk like they're hoarding assets, but what's here that's proven? Siakam's great, but he should be a Scottie Pippen type guy at best, and his defense suffers the more he's asked to do offensively. OG is the other name you hear all the time, but I don't think teams are exactly lining up to trade for a guy who can't stay healthy. They signed Dennis Schroeder, who's awful. Does Gary Trent Jr. do anything on offense other than score? Then there's Scotty Barnes. What an underwhelming sophomore season. Some of it is that teams can pack the paint against them since nobody can really hit threes, including Scotty. But when is he planning to add anything else to his game? Is he just going to be the same 15, 7, and 4 guy until the end of time who has long stretches of looking both lost and disinterested? This is just such a weird team. And look, Masai deserves plenty of patience. I mean, he's proven himself over and over and over again. This just feels like the first time when it's really hard for me to see what in the hell his vision is. I'm not wasting any more time on this team. If you're a Raptors fan, you feel shortchanged, you're more than welcome to come on here and talk about them. I'm sorry I let you down. Let's move on to the eye test though. Clearly no NBA title this year. I guess this is just like a year to see what they have and figure out how to proceed. I am interested to see how Dick looks. Please don't take that out of context. All right, that's going to do it for the Atlantic Division eye test. Be sure to check out my other division previews if you haven't done so already. Also, subscribe, rate, review, and share, and I will catch you later.